This is a Federal News Network podcast. The intelligence community has slowly diversified its workforce in recent years. Minorities made up 27% of the intelligence community workforce in 2020. But like many agencies, the lower ranks of the IC is more diverse than the senior leadership corps. The director of national intelligence, Averill Haynes, says agencies do a decent job of hiring diverse candidates, but they need help retaining them. Here's the latest from Federal News Network's Nicola Grisco. The top leaders at five intelligence community agencies say they have a plan to improve diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility at their organizations. Data shows the intelligence community workforce is slowly becoming more diverse. Minority is made up 27% of the intelligence community workforce in 2020. That's a half a percentage point better than 2019. Women make up 39% of the IC workforce. But data also shows minorities and women often struggle to reach the upper-level ranks of the intelligence community. Minorities made up a little over 15% of the senior executive service within the IC. Hispanics make up just 3% of IC senior executives. Avril Haynes is the director of National Intelligence. Ensuring that we have an IC workforce made up of people who think differently, see problems differently, and overcome challenges differently is a prerequisite to our success. Their creativity makes us smarter, more innovative, more successful, and that makes our nation safer and more secure against the array of adversaries and the foreign threats that we face. Currently, however, the intelligence community is not where it needs to be. Data shows the IC does okay recruiting and hiring diverse talent, but it's struggling to retain and promote women and minorities. Here's Haynes again. We found that the most common reason people leave the organization is a lack of promotion opportunities. Other causes of low retention include lack of fairness and equity in the workplace, insufficient mentoring and guidance, and a lack of identification with the greater organization. We listen to the voices of those surveyed, and we are addressing these issues with employee-led organizations, taking measures to promote fairness and equity, and deliver anti-harassment training. Haynes says the IC is collecting more data on these questions. She is especially interested in barriers embedded in the promotion board process itself. Intelligence community agencies say they're juggling all kinds of initiatives to improve on this front. The CIA says all of its officers now have diversity, equity, and inclusion metrics as part of their performance plans. All of the agencies say they're expanding their partnerships with historically black colleges and universities, minority-serving institutions, and other affinity groups to help them expand their recruiting pool. The National Security Agency says it's recruiting a more diverse group of employees with each passing year, but it acknowledged it often focused on recruiting candidates on the East Coast, and it plans to change. The CIA is looking at its onboarding process. William Burns is the agency's director. The agency must also urgently reform our onboarding process and remove barriers to recruiting a diverse workforce. For example, our talent center aims over the next two years to reduce the current median time from application to clearance from over 600 days to no more than 180 days. Longer waiting times have historically disadvantaged minority applicants many of whom don't have the means to remain in lengthy pipelines. The CIA also has a new directorate analysis program. It'll give annual tuition assistance of up to $37,000 to minority students who apply and make it through. And here's Haynes. There's a lot more we can do, but we need your help with changing policies that hinder program execution. For instance, in a community that prioritizes resources by mission, we found that policies that govern how we can allocate our recruiting dollars 
can actually hinder recruiting. For example, in one of our IC mission partners lacks the resources to send a recruiter to an event with an outreach partner, ODNI is prohibited from using its available resources to include them. This is an area where we could use help from Congress, and we appreciate the committee's inclusion of the administration's proposal to provide new authorities to ODNI in this area in the FY22 Intelligence Authorization Act. ODNI also created two separate offices for its Equal Employment Opportunity Division and its Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Accessibility functions. The directors of those offices will report to Haynes. I set up the separate office for the following reasons. One is I wanted to have an absolute focus, frankly, on diversity, equity, inclusion. Somebody who is, you know, 24-7, so to speak, focused on that issue. That's number one reason. Number two is that both the EEO, the Equal Employment Opportunity Office director, and the person focused on diversity will report directly to me. So neither one of them are, in a sense, getting down further into the org chart. But both of them have to work through partnerships with different parts of the IC for different purposes. And I actually think it's critical for the person who's focused on diversity, equity, inclusion to really have an opportunity to develop those partnerships based on essentially the diversity, equity, inclusion issues. Also, an equal employment opportunity office is one that is intended to be, in a sense, a kind of an independent voice in the process. They're taking complaints from folks on compliance issues and so on. And I think that is really something that I want to preserve the independence surrounding. The IC is also creating an enterprise-wide chief accessibility officer for the entire intelligence community. The House Intelligence Committee heard from IC leaders about their plans, but not all of the members were interested in them. They peppered the panel with questions about recent operations in Afghanistan, vaccines, the border, intelligence on the origins of COVID-19, and a recent Inspector General report on Michael Ellis, who the previous administration appointed to the NSA as its general counsel. California Republican Devin Nunes is the committee's ranking member. I urge all the directors here today to stay out of politics and concentrate exclusively on deterring our enemies and winning wars. As we learn in Afghanistan, America is not unbeatable. We have real enemies, and they mean to do us harm. They have no interest in global warming or race, gender intersectionality. They closely watch us every day to find weaknesses that would enable attacks on our citizens and our homeland. Intelligence community leaders, though, repeatedly made the case for workforce diversity and inclusion as a mission imperative. Ronald Moultrie is the Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence and Security. A diverse workforce provides us with an asymmetric advantage that other nations simply do not have. We must find the means to appeal to this population, hire them into our most challenging fields, and set conditions where they enthusiastically want to remain within our government. The data scientists, artificial intelligence and machine learning analysts, engineers, mathematicians, linguists, security professionals, and other specialists and support personnel that we hire must be creative, imaginative, and increasingly unconventional to our approach to major challenges. Haynes acknowledged the intelligence community hasn't always taken this view, and it's been flat out unwelcoming to some. We are also working to remove the structural and cultural barriers that the IC has built up over generations. This community for a long time was known as one that did not value DEIA. It was only a single generation ago that many of our IC agencies had an open stated policy of not hiring anybody who was LGBTQ+, plus, plus forcing many of our colleagues to hide who they were if they wanted to serve their country. 
We have corrected our outdated policies since then and made tremendous strides under both Republican and Democratic administrations. The policy that barred service from members of the LGBTQ plus community was abolished. Glass ceilings were smashed. Doors opened and ladders climbed. And the fact that I'm here before you today is yet another example of the work all of you have done to promote diversity in the government. So our progress is real and encouraging, but our journey is far from over. Nicole Lagrisco, Federal News Network. Check out Nicole's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual, uh, afloat commands. Uh, The first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, And then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con- consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin and what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual. And that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, 
I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was, you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to, to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy, and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy, and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell C-stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. 
they're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.